Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 15. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also, this is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet whenever he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. This is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept from their owner to his hurt, but those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked he shall return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry in his hand. Thank you. Let us pray. We truly agree that your glory is so beautiful. We see that this morning in your word. And we know that your word is always so beautiful because it shines with your glory. I pray that this morning you would speak to us. Speak and hear alike that would hear your word. And your word will change our hearts. That your word would be like a two-edged sword. Performing an operation in our hearts. We thank you. We give you all the glory and honor. And we are grateful to serve a great big God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, I'm hopefully not going to be too long today. Um, maybe I should say like um, um, Elizabeth Taylor said to one of um, her husbands, I will not keep you long. <laughs> I hope not to keep you long too. Well, you're awake now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, Today I'm going to speak about God being greater than glory and gold. God is greater than glory and gold. Um, Pastor Ryan has been going through Ecclesiastes with us, and I'm joining in that bandwagon of Ecclesiastes. And my, my part is to speak about power and money, how people make False, false, put their dependence on something that is so false as money and power. And in our world today, money and power is very much intertwined. People who have money have power. Maybe before I go on, um, two things that I forgot to do that I need to do. Um, one of them, I would like to pray quickly. Join me, pray quickly for um, Karen and Jason. Just got a message when I was sitting down that Karen was involved in the accident with Jolie. But they say she's fine, they're just shaken. But um, if we could just take a moment to pray for them. Lord, we thank you for Karen Schrock and the work that they do in South Africa. Uh, we pray for them at this time that you would bring peace. Thank you for saving their lives in this accident. and. Thank you for your safety. And we pray that you continue to send your angels to encamp around them and to keep them safe. We pray 
Um, if there is anything that uh, would need healing, that healing would take place in the name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I think I can go on now. Power and money, this was stressing me, so I had to stop. Power and money have been interjoined in our society. People, people who've got money have got power. They say the power is in the pocket, in the pocketbook. That's what they say out there. And today we're going to speak about how we build uh, false hopes on money or on power. And usually when somebody speaks about this, everybody expects them to see people sit and think, yes, they're going to bash the rich. They're going to get it today. I'm sorry to disappoint you because money and power is for both the rich and the not rich. Both groups of people have got issues with those. And we're going to try and deal with both of those. And I'm going to deal more with gold, which is money, because that's what in our world today gives people the power to do certain things, to say certain things, to be in certain positions, to do certain things in life. It's how much do you have for you to be honored and recognized? And that's the, that's the sickness of our, of our society today. And it's not only of, of our society, but also of the society of the Bible times, especially the New Testament times. We hear Paul saying to, somebody, saying to one church that when somebody comes in who's in rags, don't push them, don't say to the person who's, who's in rags, stand up and give the place to somebody who's rich and powerful. So it's a, it's, it's a sickness that has been there a long time. And we need to deal with it as children of God. Our view is different. And it's something that we see under the sun over and over and over again. So power, influence, and prestige and recognition are tightly belted to positions, to possessions, sorry, in our society, to what we have. They're tightly belted in that. They, they, they are very closely knitted. That is sometimes difficult to, to see the difference between the two. And sometimes we accumulate things, physical things, to try and fill the void of this the void that is in our hearts. Usually it's a spiritual void that leads us to accumulate this, to try and cover that emptiness. And that's what we're going to look at today. In our scripture reading above, we, we heard that Solomon is talking about under the sun, and he says that there are times where people under the sun, they labor. And he says, well, the person who's laboring sleeps well because they are tired and they've got good sleep. And he says the one who accumulates and keeps and keeps and keeps needs to realize that they brought here nothing and they'll go back with nothing. A man can make himself no happier by hoarding than by spending. We can never make ourselves more happier by hoarding stuff, by keeping stuff than by spending that stuff. And we can spend our gold in good things, we can spend our gold in bad things. Therefore, hoarding and trying to keep everything neatly closed together, trying to keep everything that we can, is meaningless. It's vanity. 
The whole issue is the love of money. It's not money. There's nothing wrong with money. It's a piece of paper that gives us currency or, but it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's what you do with it. So the issue is the love of money that makes us to be not satisfied. When somebody loves gold, loves money, loves glory, they are never satisfied. They are thinking of the next position that I can be in, the next um, honor that I can be given, the next amount that I can make. And that's where the problem is. When we are preoccupied with what can we get next. And that's where we find a problem. There are a few things that I want to read for you. I found these on the net, on the internet, so they are not mine. I have to put that out there. Um, and you've heard them before, so I'll reread them just for good measure for you to remember this. They say, money can buy you a bed, but it cannot buy you sleep. Money can buy you a clock, but it cannot buy you time. Money can buy you a book, not knowledge. It can buy a position, not respect. It can buy medicine, not health. It can buy you blood, but not life. It can buy you sex, but not love. It can buy you a computer, but not brains. It can buy you food, but not an appetite. It can buy you finery, but not beauty. It can buy you a house, but not a home. It can buy you luxuries, but not culture. It can buy you amusements, but not happiness. It can buy you acquaintances, but not friends. It can buy you obedience, but not faithfulness. Those are some of the things that we find that money can buy certain things, but it cannot buy the needed things, the basic needed things. So I just want to put it out there before I go on so that we know where we're going with this. Seneca the Younger said, money has never yet made anyone rich. Money has never yet made anyone rich. The richness of our life is not based on money. It's based on who we are and whose we belong to. That's where the richness of our lives come from. Amen? Amen. The problem with having a lot of money and being greedy for money is that money, as we had in Ecclesiastes, money breeds anxiety because we are anxious of losing it. <laughs> we are anxious of, of being haunted by the fear of loss. What's going to happen if I lose it all? And that haunts us. And that's not a place where we need to be as children of God. Our hope and our trust is in God. There is no panic in heaven. There is no anxiousness in heaven. When God's presence is in your life here on earth as well under the sun, there is no panic. The devil might try and tempt you with panic, but panic is a bondage. And the Bible tells us that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We are free from that care. We are people who want to, yes, I'm going to go on to talk about, yes, we need to invest. Yes, we need to keep for tomorrow. But it's the attitude of the heart. That's what we're going to be talking about today. It breeds anxiety if the attitude of the heart is not in the right place. I've got an extract from a book 
Um, this book, it's a booklet. You can read it in 30 minutes and finish it. When I bought it online, I thought, oh, it's going to be a very long book because somebody recommended it. But now, it was just 30 minutes and I was done. It's a 60-page book with very big, um, with very big writing. It's called Gold, Glory, and Girls. It's a good book for men to read. It talks about these three things, gold, glory, and girls. And he speaks about how those three are the main factor that affects men of God from Scripture. You try and look through Scripture and see, it's either somebody failed because glory, because of gold, and because of girls, most of the times. And we're going to look at some of those examples. Well, in this book, he speaks, I'm going to read a few chapters for you. He says in 1923, talking about glory, he says in 1923, nine of the wealthiest people in the world met in Chicago at the Edgewater Beach Hotel. It was estimated that their combined wealth exceeded the wealth of the U.S. government at the time. These men had made all the gold. Now the glory was theirs as they met admiring each other's skills of making it big and being noticed and recognized and honored by the world. Who are these men? Number one, the president of the largest steel company. Number two, the president of the largest utility company. The president of the largest gas company. The president of New York Stock Exchange. The president of the Bank of International Settlements. The greatest wit, a speculator, the greatest bear on Wall Street, a member of President Hardin's cabinet, and the head of the world's greatest monopoly. These are nine people, and their wealth combined was more than what the U.S. government um, owns. This is a lot of money. These are very big people. What an impressive lineup of men. So many idolized them and would have, been, would have traded places with them in a heartbeat. This meeting was said to have been uh, both a celebration of their great and awesome success as well as an opportunity to plan their future and exploit and exploits and dominance. These were the leaders, the captains of their perspective industries. Some of the most successful businessmen of the era Yet what happened to these men 25 years later? Number one, the president of the largest steel company, Bethlehem Steel Corp, Charles M. Schwab, lived on borrowed capital for five years before he died bankrupt. Number two, president of the largest utility company, Samuel Isno, died penniless. Number three, the president of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, suffered mental breakdown and went insane and died in a mental institution. Number four, the president of the New York Stock Exchange at that time, Richard Whitney, was sent to jail. Number five, the president of the Bank of the International Settlement, Leon Fraser, committed suicide. Number six, one of the greatest uh, commodity traders, wheat speculator Arthur Curtin, died insolvent. Number seven, the greatest bear on Wall Street, Jesse uh, Livermore, famous speculator in the stock and commodities, commodities market, had an end that is perhaps the most tragic of them all. One week after Thanksgiving in 1940, Jesse um, went into the sherry, 
Sherry Netherland Hotel in New York and down down two drinks at the bar, scribing something on his notebook, then proceeded to the clock room where he sat on the, stall, on the stool and shot himself in the head. He was 62 and he left behind five million down from the hundred million fortune he had just had 10 years earlier. And this is what he had written in his note. My dear Nina, I can't help it. Things have become bad with me. I'm tired of fighting. I can't carry any any longer. This is the only way out. I am unworthy of your love. I am a failure. I am truly sorry, but this is the way, this is the only way out for me. Love, Laurie. Number eight was a member of the US president cabinet, the member of President Harding's cabinet, Albert Fall. He was pardoned from jail uh, just to be able to go home and die in peace. And the last one, number nine, the world's largest company, greatest monopoly, Ivan Kruger, he committed suicide. Then he goes on to say, too often those who hear, those who want it all find only disappointment. There is an emptiness to a busy life, chasing after money, fame, and success. There is an emptiness that goes with that. And I look at it and I think, this is exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes talks about. With contentment is great gains because we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing. Matthew Henry says that on his, co- his commentary on the scripture. With com- contentment there is great gain because we brought nothing into this world and we take nothing with us. It's sobering to think about it. All that we have accumulated, there is no space in the coffin for it. Even if you would put it in the ground with the person, it's going to rot. It's done. I want us to read another piece of scripture. I know this is a very, um, it's a very hard sermon to preach because it hits on all sides. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very difficult. But it's something that we need to find as a truth in our lives. First Timothy 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with those, we can be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, who drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He talks about temptations that people face. He's not talking about the rich here. He's talking about those who want to get rich. That's why I say that, well, it might be um, thought of that it's only about the rich, but it's also about those who are running after riches. And he talks about them here. He's not addressing the rich people, but those who are one who are tempted to make gold the final destiny. Those who are tempted to make success and glory and money to be their final destiny. He talks about them here. And that's who he's addressing. 
He says in pursuit of our goal of being rich and of being famous, we think that it holds the key to everything. It doesn't. It holds the key actually to temptation and to a trap. And what temptation is he talking about? He, he points out certain dangers that we face out in pursuit of riches and glory. People who are consumed with wanting to get riches and glory, they, they are tempted from every front to compromise certain things, to get to where they need to go. If your life is consumed about trying to gain and to get, you are putting yourself on a road to temptation. And there are a few things that he speaks about. We are tempted, sometimes we are in a situation attempted to do things that they would never ever do. They attempted to compromise certain things that they would never compromise, to go to places where they would never go. They attempted to form alliances that are not good for them. But because there is money involved, yeah, yeah, why? Why not? There is glory involved. They, they start to look in directions that they never ever considered. And that's the problem, that's the danger with trying and putting all your mind in trying to get. And the problem is that we, we find ourselves discontented because we're wanting to get more and more and more. Let me give you a good example. I was away this past week, um, so a week and a half ago, I was away um, in, um, in Vegas, and I saw this in action. I saw people who came with all their dreams to make it big, and their dreams got shattered. Those lights are amazing. They will leave you dazzled, and like, ooh, great lights. But at the end of the day, there is, I was watching and looking at people, and I was speaking to my friend, uh, Ben, and I'm like, it's, it's so scary to watch some of these people and think they came here, and they thought, oh, I'm going to make it rich. And at this point, it's really hard for them because they've lost everything. They've lost their families. They've lost their life, the essence of life itself. So it is very important that we realize that we are not... Be careful not to put yourself in the way of temptation. And by the way, never think that you're immune from this. We should never think that we are immune from being tempted to put our hope and our trust in our money or in our positions. We are not immune. We can be deceived as easy as Eve was deceived. Easily. So we need to keep our guard up. We need to watch. The Bible says, be wise and redeem your times because the days are evil. We need to wake up and realize that we need to keep God. The trap is departure from faith. People who, who seek after money, who seek after glory, they depart from faith. Alistair Begg puts it this way. He says, departure from faith is inevitable when gold replaces gold in a man's heart. Departure from faith is, and you cannot avoid it when you start to put money and glory in the place of God in your life. 
And it's very easy to fall away from that. A few examples. Judas in Matthew 26. He goes and sells out Jesus for pieces of silver. It was good money at the time. They could buy a field with it, sort of good money. They could buy land. But he goes and he sells him because he's tempted by money. And And the story goes on before to say that Jesus knew that he was a thief and he would help himself in the pocket. In the, in the past that he kept for, for the ministry. So there, there was a temptation of money there. Gehazi, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we see him running after Naaman. After Elisha said, I'm not taking anything from you. Take your gold and everything. You've been healed by God, not me. I don't need your payment. Gehazi runs after him. You can read it at home. Runs after him and says, oh, my master has changed his mind. Give me that. And he ends up dying with leprosy. Did not even enjoy his wealth that he got from Naaman. Another good example in the New Testament, Anania and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. We know their story. They did not need to lie and say that we've given everything. And there, when you look at it there, it's not really, it's not really the, the love of, it's not really the money that is a big thing there. It's recognition and glory. Because yes, they gave part of their money, but they didn't give it all. And they were not expected to give it all. But then they lied so that they can look good. So that they can get the glory of, oh yeah, you know, those are one of the people that built the church. And we see them dying because of that. So there is no way we can say that we are immune to this. There are a lot of examples in the Bible. The Bible says, let those who think they stand take heed, lest they fall. Let us who think we stand take heed, lest we fall. So we need to be wise. We need to be look. When the word of God comes, it's not so-and-so who's sitting next to me because I know they have that problem, you know. No, it's for me and it's for you. So we need to be careful. Our society is built on money and glory, and we need to be careful of that. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21, Jesus is speaking about, um, he's talking to a crowd teaching, and then a man comes up to him, and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, I want us to look at this story quickly. 
and we're going to be done. This story quickly, it starts in the beginning where Jesus is teaching. He's giving warnings and encouragements. He's speaking about not worrying about what to eat and all that. He's talking to people and he's teaching and he speaks about people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Um, he's talking about the disciples that you're going to get into trouble and you're going to be brought into synagogues. And he's, I mean, he's on the roll. And out of the blue, somebody says, teacher, can you tell my brother to divide the wealth with me? It was normal for somebody to ask a rabbi to do that, but that was not Jesus' place to do. And the answer says, who has made me judge between you and me and your brother? And, and somehow, somehow think about it. Jesus is teaching about this all things, and this man's mind is stuck on the wealth that his brother is not sharing with him. After Jesus just spoke a few verses before that, it was the same time Jesus just talked that, do not worry about what you're going to eat. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, teacher, can, we share, can you command my brother to share this wealth with me? And, and, and in watching that, we see two types of greed there. We see a greed that says, the brother too, let me start with that, both brothers were greedy. One wanted to keep it all, and the other one wanted to get it all. Those are two types of greed that we face in the world. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. <laughs> and there is one who says, I will not let anyone get close to what I have. So there are two types of greed that we need to be on guard for. The greed that more, wants more than what I can have. And that greed comes with, whether it's money or it's power, it's the greed that says, I want more than what I can have. Give it to me. I want it. And then the other greed, the first greed actually of, give, of getting more than what I have is the greed of someone who doesn't have it, but wants it. So greed is on both sides. It's on somebody who doesn't have and wants it. And also on the other side is the greed that wants to keep everything that I have and prevent others from sharing in what I have. The greed that says, mine. So there is those two types of greed that we need to look at. And we see them in the beginning of that scripture. The other brother keeps everything. The other brother wants it all. But then Jesus goes in to tell a story, and this story is where I'm going to dwell much on. Is having money and power bad? Jesus answers that very easily. The Bible does not teach that wealth in itself is evil only in as much as it is improperly accumulated or improperly used. Two major things. There is nothing evil about wealth. But the evil in it is how it was accumulated and how it's being used. If it was accumulated by getting, um, pushing your luck with the, with the poor and stealing from them, yes. And if it's used in a way that does not please God, yes, then it's got evil in it. And that's what we, we find in this, in this scripture. It's not what in, what's in our wallets that is a problem, but it's the attitude towards what we carry in our wallets. It's not what we have. What we have in our wallets is paper, but it's the attitude of the heart about what is in our wallet. Stockpiling is the problem. Cheating is the problem. 
and getting old so that we can indulge ourselves is the problem. Those are the three issues. This man's ground produced good. Was it wrong? No. And Jesus doesn't condemn his ground for producing good. Actually, God said, go and be fruitful. So his ground was good. If it, this was, his business was doing great, praise the Lord. That's what we need. There's nothing wrong with that. It was not a problem. This man was successful. Is that the problem? No. Jesus does not condemn him for being successful. Nothing wrong with that. We are called to be children of God that are successful in wherever God has placed us to be at. So he was okay. He was successful. And then the, the other question that I have is that when his, when his ground, when, when his, um, when his uh, harvest came in, it says he had a bumper harvest. He had a big harvest. Is there anything wrong with that? No. And then he says, what should I do with this harvest? I, I will tear down my old barns and big, bigger ones. That's a businessman. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to store it right so that it doesn't rot in the field. That's good stewardship. But the issue there is a little thing that he does. Store it for myself and then I'll say relax my soul. That's where the problem is. The problem is not him building new bands. That's fine. He had to store it. He's being a good steward. But the problem is what is the motive behind building those new bands? This man never saw beyond himself. He never saw beyond the sun. He's a typical man under the sun that we've been speaking about. He watches and sees himself as now. His world is covered with himself. It's himself this way, it's himself that way, it's himself that way, and it's himself that way, and nobody else. That's where the problem is. When our world is covered by myself and nobody else. The issue is not being well off. Not at all. The issue is deciding that your security comes from you being well off or from me being well off. That's the issue. Our security comes from God. Our security does not come from what we have or who we are in society. It's not who we are in society. It's who we are in him and who he is to us. That's where our security comes from. Our security is never locked up in our positions. So there's nothing wrong with having possessions and positions. But it's the attitude of the heart towards those possessions and that position that worries. God is greater than glory and gold. Having less does not reduce and having more does not increase your life or its answers. Its essence has got nothing to do with what you have. Certain things might be enhanced by having more because you can afford certain things, but you cannot stop yourself from dying. Um, I was, my wife was looking through, we were looking through the internet the other day, we weren't even talking about this, but something came up about the people who, um, what did you say, babe, was that, um, what's his name, uh, Disney Walt did to keep his body? 
yeah, cryogenics. I was like, what? That sounds a big word. Um, I don't know what it is. And she was telling me about it. Then, only to find out it's false. Actually, he didn't. And it crushed the hopes <laughs> of seeing Walt Disney again okay, some other lifetime or whatever. So, people can try and do that, but they cannot preserve their life. The life belongs to God. You can do cryogenics all you want and have the money to do that, but you cannot preserve life itself. The life belongs to its owner, and it comes empty, and it goes empty-handed. Hold your possessions with your hands open. Hold your positions with the hand open. Never clinch to what you have in terms of possessions. Never clinch to what you have in terms of positions. Leave it out. Let your hands be open. We leave this world with nothing. There's, there's a lady who's a preacher's wife who wrote um, a book, and there's a saying in her book that I would want to share with us as we close. Her name is Jill Briscoe. Um, she wrote this while her husband was away preaching. She says, years ago, oh, I think I wrote it wrong. Years ago, I stopped looking to anyone but to God to satisfy me. There is no man that can love me enough, no child that can need me enough, no job that can pay me enough, no experience that can satisfy me enough, only Jesus. We need to get to that point where there is nothing that can satisfy us, nothing that can pay us enough, nothing that can need us more enough. Only Jesus. When Jesus is the center, all these other things, the positions, the possessions, both of them, end up as nothing. The glory and the gold. You've got the right channel of using your glory and your gold when Jesus is the center. Jesus has nothing against investing. Nothing at all. Proverbs 6.6 6 tells us, look at the end. You sluggard, you fool, look at the end and learn from the end. It keeps for winter. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the heart. And Proverbs 13, 22 tells us a good man leaves an inheritance. A good man leaves an inheritance for his family and his generations. There's nothing wrong with that. In Luke 16, Jesus shows this uh, story of a crude manager, a crude steward. It's one of the scriptures that I used to struggle with a lot. And sometimes I still do. And then in 1 Timothy 6.17, there is a charge to the rich. It doesn't say, tell the rich to throw away their riches or to give away all their riches. It doesn't say that. It charges them to do what God has asked them to do with their riches. And not to trust in their riches. Here is the issue. The issue is in the last verse, in verse 21 of Luke. Jesus says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That's the issue. How is your relationship with God? There's nothing wrong with storing up 
for tomorrow? But are you storing up for tomorrow with the idea of me and me and me and I and myself? Or are you storing up with the idea of, I'm going to help others too. And if you're storing up, are you taking the same diligence or even more diligence in storing up for eternity? Remember Pastor Ryan made a, an example some other time, some months ago, almost a year ago, when he preached about how long life is. He had somebody put out their hand and said, this is the span of our life here. And he had people go all the way, almost round, right round with their hands out, saying that is eternity. And we get so much, we take so much pride in preparing for this, and we forget about all that. So if we are serving, if we're investing, yes, we're doing well to do that, church. If we're getting places of influence where we can change legislation and do all these things, yes, we're doing a great job. But in doing that, what is our heart's motive? And in doing that, are we at a point where we are giving more diligence to preparing for that and not this? How are we doing in preparing for eternity? Beyond the sun is more important than below the sun. Beyond the sun is eternity. Below the sun is a limited life. What are we taking more time to prepare for? Getting glory now or getting glory there? A crown that rots that you're not going to take with or a crown that lasts forever? It's said to be rich in the world and not to be rich towards God. It's a blessing to be rich in the world and rich towards God. And it's a blessing as well not to be rich in the world, but rich towards God. That's the biggest thing. Are you rich towards God? Are you waking yourself into a way where you are rich towards who God has called you to? Rona, as the band comes forward, I would like to put out a challenge. If today you have not made a commitment to Jesus, this would be your opportunity to make sure that you are putting something towards your eternity. And if you're a believer as well and you've been, you've been tricked, you've been tempted to put all your eggs in the basket of under the sun, this is an opportunity for you to say, Lord, help me. I need to get out of this. I've always said this, and my wife has been a, a very good influence in me. I've always said this, I don't, want to, I don't want to be exceedingly rich because I don't know if my character can take it. I don't think my character would be able to take it, that's me. I think I'll be very pompous and very ungodly. And as well, I, I don't want to be in a position where I'm poor and I can't look after my family. But I want to be in a position where I can get my daily bread and be able to help others. That's where I need to be. That's me, that's our motto in our home. And I challenge you today that whatever your motto is, can you look at it and look it through the word of God and say, is this what God wants me to do? Or is it me just wanting to get more and get more influence and get more money? God is greater. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus to help you store for the future, this would be an opportunity to do that.
and you can come forward and be prayed for here and somebody will pray with you and they will lead you to how you get to know Jesus and they're going to come if you come the site they'll come and if you're a believer and you want to take time to pray doesn't mean that you are in that situation it means that you're saying Lord I want to make sure that I'm in the right place this side of the aisle will be for you to come and say Lord help me and I'm one of those people who's first to say Lord help me not to fall into that temptation not to fall into that trap I will reach towards God while we reach here on earth let us pray we thank you father that you have called us to be reached towards you and I pray that you'd help us help us Lord speak and hear alike to put all our eggs in your basket not in our little baskets that fail I pray that you'd help us some of us who might be gaining positions, who might be gaining also possessions, I pray that you would help us to know how to channel right, that right in our hearts and in our lives. That we will not be consumed by who we are in our society or what we have in our society. But our hearts will be consumed by who we are in you and what you've called us to be. We thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' name.